The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 3 this morning. Acts chapter 3. And, uh, you know, the book of Acts, of course, we, we hesitate to ever say we have a favorite verse or a favorite uh, chapter or book of the Bible because it's all God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us. And so we, we hate to say there's anything uh, but, uh, like that, but I, I enjoy stories. And uh, if you enjoy reading, you know, enjoy stories and such. And the book of Acts is a story. It's a story about how that the, uh, the church, the New Testament church, became uh, founded and established for this uh, New Testament era and how that the Word of God spread through the uh, then-known world. And so if you read the book of Acts in that way as, as a story, I think it deepens our understanding and our appreciation of, of the message here. And of course, if we were to go back to uh, Acts chapter 1, we would see uh, the words of Jesus there. Jesus is about to ascend. He's been crucified. He was uh, uh, resurrected. Uh, he has been with the people uh, now for, for uh, several days, and, and he's going to ascend now uh, into heaven. And he gives them those uh, parting words about uh, how that the power of God is going to come and to dwell uh, uh, with them and, and light upon them. And, and, of course, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit at that point. And then we see in, in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit actually did come and uh, light upon them. And we see that day of, of Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit of God descended uh, as cloven tongues of fire. Uh, gathered the, the disciples were all gathered there in one place and, and they heard this sound as a rushing mighty wind and, 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 and the place was just quivering and the Spirit of God coming and lighting upon them. And wow, what an experience that must have been, right? I mean, can you imagine uh, uh, that the, the Spirit of God descending as cloven tongues of fire? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on fire, not in a real sense of, of, the, uh, of the fire, natural fire, right? And, uh, you know, I just kind of wonder from time to time where they're trying to dodge it, you know, but, but the Spirit of God goes where it wants to go. And, uh, you know, we, we uh, hear that from Jesus himself in John chapter 3. Uh, the Spirit of God goes just like the, the wind goes where it listeth. And, and, uh, and so the Spirit of God is the same way. And it came and dwelt upon. Uh, and, and as a result, uh, this amazing sermon, not only by Peter. Peter's uh, sermon is the one we have recorded there in Acts chapter 2. But uh, we have uh, uh, an understanding that the Spirit of God just made all of the disciples to, to begin uh, speaking about Jesus Christ. And it was just an amazing event. Well, th uh, with that background then, we come to Acts chapter 3. 
And here is the, are the apostles Peter and John. Now, Peter and John are uh, uh, two that kind of take um, uh, a prominent position in the story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and, and his teaching, right? We always are hearing about Peter and John. Uh, and we, we, we kind of visualize uh, Peter being this uh, rough and tumble kind of uh, outdoorsy kind of guy, right? That uh, he's, he's tough and he, uh, he's ready to draw the sword, you know, and he did one time, right? Cut off the right ear of the, of the uh, high priest servant and, and, uh, and Peter is, is just right there kind of uh, ready to get after it, you know? And, and John, is, as we see, becomes uh, the one who is kind of a, a, a loving... Uh, we, we almost uh, sense him as... Uh, as uh, as wanting to to kind of be calm and such, unlike uh, Paul, right? I mean, unlike Peter. And so uh, uh, John's a little bit different temperament there. And so I, I think it's wonderful how God brought the two of them together in such a prominent role in the uh, New Testament uh, and and the the story we have of the gospel, bringing together kind of this rough and tumble guy and this this guy who is uh, more of a, a laid back, you know, loving kind of uh, uh, focus there and, and such, and how he brings them together. And they're together here in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, we see them in verse 1 that they, uh, they're going up to the temple to pray. And let me just read the first eight verses of Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping, uh, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now there is a whole lot to be uh, uh, to be unpacked from this uh, passage of scripture. I mean, there is just an amazing. And again, you look at this not just as words on a page, but this is an event that actually occurred. This is a real life Peter, a real life John, who are going to the temple, and they are being true to to the, the religion that they had at that time. Now, when you think about it, you think from our standpoint, you, you, you might say, well, why were Peter and John, they're Christians now, why are they going into a Jewish temple in order to pray? Because today we think of ourselves, Christians, as completely separate from and, and different than the Jewish uh, faith, Right? But here is 
a time period where the Jewish faith was melding into and becoming the Christian faith. And there wasn't the distinction at this time between Jewish and Christian as we have today. In fact, we think about it from this standpoint that, the, that what Jesus really desired is for uh, the, the Jews to receive him, to understand that he is the Messiah that they had been looking for for centuries. I mean, the Jews had been wanting the Messiah to come year after year, decade after decade, century after century, even millennia after millennia had been wanting the Messiah to come. We go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and I've got to be careful here because I might go all the way back to Genesis and try to preach the whole Bible, but uh, we go back to the book of Genesis, and we see where Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the Garden of Eden. God comes down, uh, places the curse upon them, upon the earth, and upon Satan, and, uh, but at the same time, remember, God at that point says, but I'm, let me give you a promise. Let me give you a promise. There's there's going to be a, a time period when uh, there's, there's going to come a seed, a child, uh, that is going to crush the serpent's head and going to do away with the curse. <clears throat> From the very time of Adam and Eve, they had been anticipating this person to be born that would crush the serpent's head. And you think about it from Adam and Eve's perspective, <clears throat> they had first... They had Cain, right? Now, you and I know Cain turned out to not be so good of a fella, right? He killed his brother Abel. But at the time that he's born, like with all babies, he's a precious little baby, right? And, and so promising and, and, you, and such. <clears throat> Adam and Eve didn't know but what Cain would have been that promised Messiah. They didn't know but what he, that he was being born. And, and he grew up, and instead of being the Messiah, he kills his brother Abel, and they... Well, maybe they thought Abel was going to be the Messiah, and, you know, and yet Cain kills him, and, and Seth, and on down the road. They, they, Israel had been looking for the Messiah for centuries, and Jesus comes upon the scene, and they are, Jesus is not, and this is going to be a key word for us this morning, Jesus is not what they were expecting. They were expecting something different. They were expecting a rough and tumble guy, somebody kind of like uh, King Saul of the Old Testament who, who stood head and shoulders above everybody else, right? Who was big and strong and would come in riding on that, uh, that, uh, that, that white horse and, and, and leading the charge and, and <clears throat> pushing out all of the enemies of Israel and making Israel to be the ultimate nation here in the earth. And everybody else would look up to Israel and say, oh, that is God's people. That's what the Israelites were looking for. And instead, as we know, Jesus comes in, very humble, born as a baby, born uh, in, in a barn, basically, you know, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He, there, there's, uh, 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 Isaiah tells us that the, you look upon him, there's nothing that, that you would say, wow, there goes a, a great specimen of a human being. I mean, there, there's nothing about him that, that really, just, uh, until he speaks and then his words, as the, as the scriptures tell us, he teaches like nobody ever taught before, right? And Jesus was just one of many uh, of, of the rabbis who would, 
wander around the countryside with disciples following him and, and, and teaching from here to there and place to place. He was just one of many. And yet we know that Jesus is much more that he truly is the Messiah. But at that time, the, to get back to my point, the, the, the Jewish religion who had been looking for this Messiah is supposed to merge into and become the, the Christian religion that follows after Jesus Christ, the Messiah that they've been looking for for so long. But as we know, he comes to his people and his own reject him, right? And so, uh, and so that doesn't happen. Well, the, during this time period, you can see this all throughout the book of Acts, that uh, there's this, this kind of um, uh, shifting and trying to figure out just how much of the Old Testament Jewish religion is going to be brought over into the New Testament Christian religion and, and where those two interact and, and overlap and, and where they don't. <clears throat> well, you and I know now that the dividing line is between works and grace. And that's kind of the bottom line of it. The Old Testament, you had all kind of works, right? You had to you had to bring sacrifices. You had to, to do this in a certain way or not do that in a certain way. And you had all kinds of rules and regulations and you had the law and all of this stuff. And, and you had a lot of works that go on with the Old Testament. <clears throat> and Jesus comes along and he says, but I have fulfilled the law. I'm the fulfillment of the law. So that all of the works have been accomplished. Remember Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And so all the works have been accomplished. All of righteousness is, is within him. And now we enter into rest, right? Just like God in the uh, first six days of creation, he works and works and works and works for six days. And then on the seventh day, he enters into that rest. So also we see that Jesus comes and he fulfills, he fulfills, he fulfills. And he does so through his New Testament uh, uh, ministry. And, and then he says, okay, it's finished. And he, he gives up the ghost and, and that's it. And now we enter into the rest. And the Apostle Paul later on in the book of Romans will, will come back and say, my, my prayer to God and desire for Israel is that they might be saved. But instead of being saved, instead of, uh, of understanding that Jesus accomplished it all, they are still going about to establish their own righteousness. They're still working at it, right? And that's what Paul, uh, Paul was the same way up until the road to Damascus when, when uh, Jesus taught him about what, what Jesus had really done. Paul, you're kicking against the pricks, you know, and, and why are you doing that? And, and Paul comes to understand that it's not by the works of the law, but rather by the works of Jesus Christ that we therefore have the grace and mercy of God. And so, but all of that is still being uh, uh, talked about and, and they're trying to, to understand how the distinction between the Old Testament and, uh, and the works there in the New Testament and the grace here, they're still figuring that out at the time that Peter and John go up to the temple to pray. Now, there was a specified time that you were to go to, uh, to prayer, and that was at the ninth hour. 
And so, uh, uh, and, and when they were going to pray, they come upon uh, this man who is sitting outside of the gate of the temple. Now, it's important to understand that he is sitting outside of the gate. He is not in the gate. He's certainly not inside past the gate. And let me tell you why. Because the Jewish religion was such that someone who was unclean could not enter into the temple. That's why you did the sacrifice outside first before you could go into the temple. And you had to do that. So you had to become clean before you can go into the temple. Peter and John, we we read in the very first verse here of chapter 3, are going to go into the temple to pray. And so they have uh, done what it takes for them to be clean enough, according to the Jewish religion, to go into the temple to pray. And they're going in there to pray unto God, and, and they're not going in saying, all of you Jews are wrong, uh, and, uh, and we're right now. You know, No, they're still trying to figure out, again, how the Jewish religion and the Christian religion, how the Old Testament and the New Testament are going to work together. And so they're going to pray. Now, as they go to pray, there is a man there. And the scripture says, a certain man. I like it when the, you can read this several times, especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, you can read a certain man, a certain person, a certain event. That's, that's going to tell you this is not just a parable. This is not a, a made-up story that is, uh, that is made up to teach a moral of some sort, right? This is an actual event. There is a certain man that is laying there. Now, I figure out here, uh, and again, this is the first time I've been here, but I've been down country roads for many times in my life. <clears throat> I figure out here, you probably don't get at the intersection of this road right out here any panhandlers, mm-hmm. right? I doubt you come up to the church at, at any point and you see somebody out there begging and asking for alms and, and such. You probably don't run across that a whole lot out of here, right? But uh, you go into uh, Memphis, you go in... Uh, into San Antonio where we lived uh, and such. And, and you go to the street corners and there's, all, there's almost always somebody there hoping that you will give them something. Have you experienced that uh, where, you, where you go? And I, I, maybe this is wrong with me, and if so, then I guess I'm admitting uh, something to you here today. But uh, I, I go up and I try not to look at them. Now, you join me in that, or you going to fellowship, or you going to admit it to, I try not to look at them, because if you look at them, what happens? Expectation occurs. When you look at them, when you lock eyes with them, then they are suddenly, all of a sudden they're thinking, okay, this person might give me something because they've locked eyes, Right? And that's what happens in, 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 the, in the big cities. And so uh, you get into the habit of just looking straight ahead, you know, and I don't want to get into, into all of that, but um, that's, this guy is sitting at a place that is a huge uh, uh, place of traffic. There is, this is a gate, and, and there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of, uh, um, of theological uh, uh, studies and such about what is this beautiful gate, because you go back to the original names of the gates that were in for the temple, there is none that is, a, that is called beautiful. 
There isn't a beautiful gate. So uh, we, we don't know for sure which gate this is. But if you're going to ask alms of people, you're going to want to be sitting at the gate where most of the people come through, right? Not, not the side gate where just a few people, a few of the priest or whatever will go in and such, right? You want to be at the main gate. And so they figure that this was uh, what they call the double gate uh, at that point. And they've excavated the ruins of this double gate, and it is beautiful. But really what we understand is, is that it's beautiful not, not really because of how ornate this double gate was, but rather because of what happened there. That's why it becomes so beautiful. And the speculation is, is that it was actually came to be known as the beautiful gate after this event. Because, you know, the writer uh, is, uh, is, is writing this uh, and looking back in time, right? He's uh, after the events have occurred. And so he, he maybe he's calling the gate the beautiful gate because it became known as the beautiful gate because of this event that occurs here at this time. And so, um, but the, the point is, is that he is there where a lot of people go in and out. The majority of the people go in and out and in and out of this gate. This is not the first time that Peter and John have gone through this gate. It's not. They, they, they would have gone through this gate many, many times in their life. They would have gone through this gate and into the temple uh, in order to pray. They would have done that many times. And they would have seen this certain man laying at that gate many times before in their life. How do we know that? Because it says a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate. Daily, day after day after day, they laid this man at the gate. Isn't that some great friends who would be willing every single day to come and to take him, pick him up, because he has been lame since birth from his mother's womb. This is a man who has never, ever walked. Never. He has never stood up. I saw a picture as I've done some research and reading in the past I saw a picture one time of, of some artist's rendition of this event, and the guy is laying there, and the artist had put crutches there with him. Let me tell you, if you're lame in both legs, you're not going to be able to use those crutches. I don't think. Sister Marie, am I right? I mean, uh, you're the medical professional here. It seems to me like you've got to have at least one good leg to use crutches, right? Otherwise, you're in a wheelchair. So it, it, this guy, he didn't use crutches. He, wherever he goes, and this was before the, uh, the advent of the wheelchair, and this was before the passage of the American with Disabilities Act. There was no Jewish with Disabilities Act back then, right, where they had to have the smooth sidewalks and the ramps and all of this stuff. There were steps and all. So wherever this guy wanted to go, he had to be carried wherever he needed to go. And every day, somebody would come to his house, pick him up, carry him to this gate where he could, on a daily basis, ask for alms. Now, there is no uh, uh, social system in the government at that point. He's not going to draw disability from the government. He's not going to draw anything like that. He's, 
he's on his own. And he has no means of really making a living, right? Day after day, I sit at a desk, and I sit in front of a computer, and for as little as I stand up, it seems like during the day, I could probably do without my legs. Not saying I want to. I like having them. But, uh, but this guy, he had no computer to sit out to make a living, right? He couldn't work remotely from home. He has to be carried every day to this gate so that he can get enough uh, uh, alms, people giving him money so that he can buy just enough food to live from day to day. And he's got these wonderful friends who are willing to do that. He is lame from his mother's womb. I want to really emphasize that because of what happens later on. And he was carried every day. They laid him at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And, and John and Peter have gone by him many times before. Let me maybe blow your mind a little bit more. Jesus himself has passed by this guy many times before. Jesus himself would have gone through that gate into the temple many times during his ministry. And nowhere else do we see that Jesus even acknowledged this guy who is laying at the gate. Never, we, we don't see Jesus mentioning him at all. And you think about it, Jesus could have walked by, and I don't mean to be too flippant, but this is the truth. Jesus could have walked by and gave him a nod, and he could have been healed, just like that. Right? But Jesus never did that. Jesus could have, could have gone over to him, and just Jesus performed many miracles. He made the blind to see, and, and, and the, uh, the dumb to speak, and the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk in, on many other occasions. He healed leprosy. Jesus did. Jesus could have easily done this for this fella. But it, he never did. We know that because for all of these years, this guy has been being brought to this gate and has been laying there uh, asking of alms and never once did Jesus heal him. I say that, I really bring this out, not to disparage Jesus in any way, and I hope you understand that. But to let you know that sometimes it seems it may seem like in your life that day after day after day you are asking alms of God. God, please help me in this way. God, please help me in this way. God, please help me in this way. And it may seem to you that day after day after day Jesus of Nazareth passes you by without even locking eyes with you. It may seem like that to you. But you know, Jesus has greater plans than what we understand. The scripture tells us that the thoughts of God are higher than our thoughts. And that the ways of God are higher than our ways. In other words, we can't think nearly as good as God thinks. And we can't do nearly as good as what God does. We may not understand how God is working everything out. And Jesus many times walked by this guy, but I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Jesus thought in his mind to this fella 
and, and, and you know, let's just call him Frank. Just make up a name here. And, and Jesus passing by maybe says, you know, Frank's one of those old Jewish names. Not really. I don't think I've ever heard of a Jewish name of Frank. But at any rate, that Jesus might have been thinking in his mind, Frank, just wait. Just wait. The time is coming. And when that time comes, you are going to be used of God to glorify God in a way that is just astounding. Frank, just bide your time. Jesus may have thought that as he passed by this guy from time to time. But now, Peter and John, Peter and John come up to him. And this guy, he sees Peter and John about to go into the temple. And he he asked Peter and John for alms. Now, at this point, we have no indication that Peter and John have acknowledged him. Peter and John, as I've said, have gone past this guy many times. I'm sure that they knew, even if, if you would have asked them, when they set off from their home to go to the temple, well, do you expect to see old Frank at the gate today? I'm sure they would have said, yeah, we expect to see him. He's there every day asking an alms. They, they would have known. So uh, maybe they were talking uh, between themselves. Maybe they had their minds on, on how they were going to, to talk to God when they went in to pray or such. And, and this guy, you know, they're just walking up and, and, and to him and kind of like what we do in the city with uh, the, the uh, panhandlers and such, just not thinking anything about it. And, and he asked for alms. But this time, for some reason, and I think it's because the Holy Spirit of God told Peter and John, stop, look at him. Maybe they've never really looked at this guy before, Frank, you know. They, they know he's there, they know who he is, but maybe they've never really acknowledged him. But finally, the Spirit of God, I think, says to Peter and John, stop. As soon as this guy asks for alms, hey, can you spare some change today? Usually they would have gone on past, you know. But the Spirit of God says, wait. Acknowledge him. Look at him. And that's exactly what happens. So this guy, he sees Peter and John about to go in the temple, and uh, he asked their alms. Asked for a donation. And Peter and John stop. And both of them fasten their eyes upon him. Now it says that Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John. Uh, uh, Peter is the one who's going to be the one speaking, right? He's, he's the, the kind of the brash one always out there out front and such. So uh, Peter and John, but Peter and John are both looking at him. And again, when, he, when you lock your eyes, you're expecting something at that point. This guy, good old Frank, at that point is saying, okay, They've looked at me. We have locked eyes. They're going to give me something. Maybe I'll get enough to buy me a little bread, a little meat, a little fish, enough to sustain myself for a day, maybe two days. And all of a sudden, he has this expectation, this expectation. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a boy, my parents are back here. They can uh, attest to this. When I was a boy, when it came time for my birthday or for Christmas, I had expectations. 
I didn't expect my birthday and, and Christmas to go by without getting something. I mean, that was just my expectations. And then when, when mom would bring home uh, uh, the, the gifts and she would wrap them and put them under the tree, right? My expectations went up even greater. Ooh, I wonder what's in that package. I wonder what that is. And she would take the little card, right? And she would write the name on it of the person who's going to receive that gift. And I would go over there and lift up the cards, you know, and, oh, that one's for me. And my expectations would rise up even more because of some actions that, that she did. Well, Peter and John are doing this action. And, this, and Frank, he's, he's saying, I've got an expectation now. I have a great expectation that, because Frank was very used to people going on by without looking his way. And if somebody looked on him, the expectation was there. He fastened, uh, I mean, he looked at Peter and John, and, and Peter fastened his eyes. But not only did Peter and John lock eyes with Frank, but also Peter speaks. And he says to, to Frank, he says, look on us. Let me tell you, that's like being in the city with the panhandler over there, not only do you look at him, but you roll your window down. When you roll your window down, you better have something to give them because that's what that means. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the language of panhandling is, you look at me, I've got an expectation. You roll your window down, my expectation goes way up that you're going to give me something, right? Now, are y'all still with me? You got the, you, you're following me on this? Because that... And this is what this, this Frank, I mean, Peter says, look on us. That's like rolling your window down. So he is really expecting something. In fact, scriptures say, and he, talking about Frank, gave heed unto them, Peter and John, expecting to receive something of them. Scripture even records that there is this expectation by Frank that he is going to receive something. He's going to receive it. And so with that expectation, Peter then delivers these words. And this has got to, when, when he hears Peter say these first few words, you know his heart has had to have sunk. Because Peter says, silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money to give to you. I don't have anything, any money to give to you. I don't, I, I, I don't have that, what you're looking for. I don't have it. And don't you know, I mean, locked eyes, expectations raise up. Speak to him, expectations raise even higher. My expectations are way up here, and all of a sudden they come crashing down when, when Peter says, I don't have any money. Sorry, I don't have any money. Now, you're talking about a roller coaster. A roller coaster of emotions for Frank right here, right? Oh, Frank gets, I mean, he's, he's got some hope, and then he, he, he gets a little more hope, and he gets his expectations up, and then they come crashing down just like that when Peter, and, John, Peter says, we don't have any money, I'm sorry. <clears throat> now, at that point, Frank may have been thinking, why did you even stop by here then if you don't, have anything to give me 
why did you even stop here? You know, the mind goes a lot faster than the mouth, right? Yeah, except when you're speaking out loud for me anyway, my, my mouth gets ahead of my mind sometimes, right? And I, I, uh, I regret that, but the mind goes a lot faster. And so this guy may be thinking, why did you even stop by? If you don't have anything to give me, why did you even stop by? Why did you say, look on us? Why, what's the purpose of that, uh, of that statement if you don't have anything to give me? Well, notice that that this guy was expecting some money. Peter didn't have any money, but Peter didn't say, I don't have anything for you. He says, I don't have silver and gold. Silver and gold, the things of this world, I don't have any of that for you. But there is something else that I'm about to give you that is even better than that. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. What I do have, let me give it to you. Now, maybe he's, Frank, at this point, maybe he's thinking, well, he's going to give me a garment, a piece of garment, or, or maybe a pair of shoes. Well, no, not a pair of shoes. He's lame. He can't walk. But, you know, maybe he's going to give me something that I can then exchange for silver and gold. Maybe he's going to give me something I can sell to somebody and, and therefore get the money, right? Peter says, but such as I have, give I thee. You and I know what Peter has because we know this story from 2020 hindsight. Frank didn't know that. Frank didn't understand that. Frank was trying to get by from day to day. Frank had never been inside the temple his entire life. Even though he was a Jew, he had never been inside the temple his entire life because his lameness, which was from his birth, he was born lame, his, his being lame would have prevented him by the rules of mankind, would have prevented him from going inside the temple. Never had he even seen the inside of the temple. I don't think Frank would have been concerned about the theological discussions of uh, Jewish religion versus Jesus Christ and the oncoming Christian religion and, and, and whether you could, uh, you know, there's a, there was a Pharisaical rule about how far you could walk on the Sabbath without it being counted against you as a sin. Well, this guy wasn't concerned about that, obviously. He wasn't, he wasn't concerned about the rules about how to wash your dishes. He was just hoping to get a meal, right? He wasn't concerned about all of that. He was just trying to get by day to day. But Peter said, I've got something for you. And this guy is about to receive something he had never expected in his life life. He had never expected this, ever. He had expected maybe some money on a day-to-day -day basis. He had expected his friends to come and carry him to the gate. He had expected to be a beggar all of his life. He was born a beggar. He had been a beggar for many years. He would die a beggar. This was the expectation that he had. 
But Peter is about to give him something different. Peter says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. Let me ask you something. What are your expectations in life? What are you expecting in life? I hear a lot of people uh, at work, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, Friday's almost here. It's almost Friday. Looking forward to that weekend, right? Friday's almost here. And, and it's like that's what their expectation is. They, they're living from day to day for Friday. TGIF. Well, let me tell you that how we should be living is looking forward to Sunday. TGIS. And the S don't mean Saturday. Football day, you know. It means Sunday. Do you have an expectation for Friday or for Sunday? For Sunday, when you can go to the house of God. How did my heart rejoice to hear? I appreciate that we sang that song. One of my favorite songs, in fact, uh, and I think... Uh, my wife gets tired of me saying this. My mother's going to get on to me for saying it. That's, that's my funeral song right there. Amen. How did my heart rejoice to hear my friends devoutly say, right? In Zion, let us all appear and keep the solemn day. That's, that's what we should be expecting. Our expectation should be for, for Sunday. Not... Not for, people expect, you know, you look forward to retirement, right? Oh, can't wait till retirement comes, till retirement is here. And and that's, I want to save up enough so I can retire. Maybe I can retire early. And we get our expectations on and our hopes built up for retirement. Folks, forget about retirement. Have your expectations set on the resurrection. Not retirement, but the resurrection. That's what, that's what we should, should be looking for. You remember in the Old Testament when that prophet, uh, it, had been, uh, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. You remember that? Three and a half years it hadn't rained. Now, around here, we can't imagine such. You know, over in San Antonio, we understand about no rain for a long time. But uh, oh, since we moved here, I, I, I wonder why couldn't some of, all, some of this water be over there in San Antonio, right? But, and, and that prophet, it hadn't rained for three and a half years, and he, and he sent his servant out to go look for a cloud. Sent him out several times, go look for a cloud, look for a cloud. And finally, the servant comes back. There's a little cloud way out yonder. About the size of a man's hand. You know, if you did, if you did your hand like that, just a little old cloud about, about this size out there. Well, you know what the prophet said? I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Now, wait a minute. You Brother prophet, you didn't hear what I said. I said there's a little cloud out there. Just the size of a man's hand. It's not even a dark cloud, right? Just a little cloud the size of a man's hand. You're seeing that little old bitty cloud and all of a sudden your expectation is that there's going to be an abundance of rain? Yeah. Because I know who can make it rain. 
this guy, he received something he, does, he hadn't expected. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Here's a guy who had never, ever walked in his entire life. He had seen others do it, but he had never walked in his entire life. Now, I know out in the, uh, you know, like in Africa with the giraffes and things like that, you know, those babies get born and seems like they're walking here within 30 minutes, right? I've never seen that happen with a human before, you know, where they get born and 30 minutes later the mom is saying, okay, time to walk, time to walk. That just, that's not heard of. In fact, the expectation is that they'll lay there like a blob for a while and eventually they'll learn to roll over, you know, and, and when they learn to roll over, mom's, oh, they're rolling over now, they're rolling over, you know. And then they keep rolling and, and keep rolling and you've got to go put them back where on the mat, right? You quit rolling now. That's enough of that rolling business. And so, but then you, you don't expect them to, to leap up and start walking. In fact, uh, uh, after they're rolling, maybe they, you know, they can learn to sit up. They, they, then they learn to kind of scooch a little bit, right? And then maybe they learn to crawl, you know, they, after that, it, it takes a little bit of time. They learn to, to kind of crawl and such. It takes time and effort to go from being born, not ever having walked before, to being able to walk. It takes time unless there is divine intervention, right? And that's what this guy has. He has divine intervention. Never having walked before, Peter tells him, get up and walk. Now, can you imagine that guy, old Frank there, he's saying, look, fella, I thought I was going to get some money from you, and you're telling me to get up and walk? Forget you. But Peter reaches down. Because Peter is acting by the authority of Jesus Christ himself in the name, that name above every other name, that name that is second to none, that name that at that name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, that name, at that name, let me tell you, rise up and walk. But I think that Frank doesn't quite understand. Frank doesn't quite grasp what's happening here yet. Now, Frank may feel something that's going on in his legs he's never felt before, but, but he's never walked. In fact, he's never crawled. In fact, he, he's never scooched with his legs, maybe with his arms, but not with his legs. He's never used those legs before. And Frank doesn't, maybe doesn't understand, why are you telling me to get up and walk? I've been laid here, lame, for years, all of my life. And so Peter reaches down and grasps his hand and lifts him up. See, you can walk. This is an absolutely beautiful picture of the power of God, of what God does in the, in the life of a person, followed by what we should be doing 
in the ministry of God in the life of those people as well. How is this guy's legs all of a sudden healed? They are healed by Jesus Christ, by the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of God, not by the power of Peter, not by the power of John. In fact, later they'll ask Peter about it, and Peter says, it wasn't us, it was God who healed us. Well, y'all you, you, really think that me and John can heal somebody who's been lame since birth? You really think that we have that kind of power? No, that's the power of God that you're witnessing there. And remember all those times that, that Jesus would pass by Frank and Frank would wonder and, and ask and, and Jesus never acknowledged him except maybe, again, this is my theory, don't take this as gospel, but this is uh, maybe Jesus in his mind was thinking, just hold on, Frank, hold on, your time's coming until it finally comes. And God does an amazing work in the life of Frank. But Frank doesn't quite understand. He doesn't quite believe it. He doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't really know what it means yet. And so then, God tells Peter, help him. Reach down and help him. And do you know that's what we in our lives are supposed to do with others? We can't cause them to walk, and we certainly can't bring them to spiritual life. But once God has done that work in their life, God then tells us, now help them along. Help them along. You can see this in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, by the way. Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and you remember how Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, Lazarus is in there, and the, and the, um, the way that they did this, if you think about embalming and you think about mummies, that, that's kind of how they did it uh, then with Lazarus. Lazarus was wrapped up in, in cloth. I mean, he was like this. And I don't know whether Lazarus came hopping or floating out of that tomb. I just know he came out. But you remember what Jesus said after that? After, last, after Jesus had given Lazarus life and brought him out of that tomb, after that, Jesus then turns to his uh, friends and, they, and he says, loose him and let him go. That's the purpose of preaching the gospel right there, to loose you and let you go. You who already have life by the power of God to, to show you what it means to have life. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He brings you to life and he doesn't want you to stay wrapped up in dead men's clothes. And so the gospel comes and it, it explains to you how you are free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And that's what Peter is doing here. Look, you're, you can walk. Here, let me help you out. Let me, let me show you what it means to stand up to a guy who had never stood in his whole life. Let me show you what it means to stand up. And Peter takes him by the hand and lifts him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. And this guy who had never walked, who had never crawled, who had never scooched, all of a sudden stands up 
And it says he leaping up. He didn't fumble around up. He says he leapt up and he leaping up stood and he walked. Immediately he leaps up and he stands and he walks by the power of God. Isn't that great? God continues to do that with us spiritually, doesn't he? I mean, causes us to understand these things, to be empowered. Jesus said, you wait until Jerusalem, to his disciples back in the first chapter, you wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Which again, we saw that happen on the day of Pentecost, chapter 2. You be, uh, you stay in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. I like that word power. The Greek word for power is dunamis. Dunamis. And the reason I like that so much is it's where we get our word dynamite. Until you, you wait there in Jerusalem until you are blown away with the power of God. And this guy, he understands that now. Dear old Frank doesn't have to be carried from his home to the gate anymore. Dear old Frank doesn't have to lay at the gate asking for alms anymore. Dear old Frank knows what it means to be blessed by the power of Almighty God. Now, I told you before that he had never been inside the temple. Frank had never been inside the temple. Wasn't allowed to go inside the temple. He, he because of his lameness, even though it wasn't his fault, uh, he, he was considered unclean and could not go inside of the temple. But all of a sudden, Peter and John, as they go to pray, they, they look upon him, and he looks upon them. And, and Peter says, I can't give you anything, any gold, but let me give you a little grace. I can't give you any money, but let me give you a little mercy, right? I, I, I can't, I, I, I don't have any silver and gold, but, but such as I have, by the power of God, Give I thee, and he leaps up, and he stands, and he walks, and it says, and he goes with them into the temple. Right? He leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. And as he goes into the temple, he is walking, and he is leaping, and he is praising God. I mean, this guy goes immediately from paralyzed to praising, right? And he is leaping around and praising God. Don't you love to see it when, when somebody first comes to understand the beauty of the grace and mercy and love of God and they get all excited about it, right? They get all excited about it. And you can just, I mean, they just, they just want to burst. They just want, they're, they're blown away by the power, by the dynamite that is God. And that's what this guy does. Oh, that we would. And I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty of not showing the leaping praising of God as, as anybody else. But wouldn't it be great if we just leaped and praised God? I mean, you know, if, if one of you did that in your pew right now, you know, we'd all look at you and say, what's wrong with you? 
right? But no. What if you were so excited about God? You just couldn't sit still. What if even every once in a while you let out a, amen? Just a small one. Or maybe one of these days you let Brother David know that the power of God has gotten a hold of you and you say, amen. Y'all scared Brother David to death. Do it one of these days because of the power of God which you have today. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and leap and praise God. Amen. God bless you. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.